A corner here to equalise the match and keep their World Cup dream alive. The corner comes in, back post, Katakoi holds it. Spain's goalkeeper clatters it through the air, falls on top of it, and there is the final whistle. It's a classic fairy tale of trials and tribulations for Spain. Turmoil turned into triumph. A team at odds with its federation. They've rallied together. And these 23 women have unleashed their red fury onto the world. The Red Fury of Spain taking out the Women's World Cup with a 1-0 victory over England at the weekend. It's been a massive tournament. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, the Matildas going down 2-0 to Sweden in the playoff for third place. So we finished fourth overall. Thanks to Isuzu Utes, we've got the West Australians, Ben Smith, joining us on the line. Ben's been covering this very, very closely. Ben, welcome. Morning, Darth. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Were you there or were you uh, doing it remotely? Uh, sadly, it was a little after for me, unfortunately. Uh, I would have loved to have, uh, to have taken in the uh, final and the third place game in, uh, in person, but unfortunately uh, you know, I had to uh, fly back uh, from Sydney after Matilda's lost. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so I uh, watched both games from the office and it was... Uh, a very different uh, mood and uh, you know performance, I think, for uh, from from between both games. What did you make of Spain's win? Because it, as the commentator said in the lead into this interview, they were fighting amongst themselves. They were fighting with their federation. They were fighting with their coach on the way into the tournament, and they somehow glued it all together and come away with the trophy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's testament to uh, to this Spanish team the fact that they obviously, you know, and evidently did not really get along with either their, their coach or their federation. Um, and the, the, they produced a fantastic performance. They were, um, you know, they were very good value. I thought for the win. Uh, you know, England had, uh, you know, they just, I, I just felt like England were off the ball all game. Really, I thought. Um, Teresa Abalera, uh, Aitana Bonmatia, and uh, uh, Jennifer Hermoso in midfield for Spain. I thought all three of them completely ran the show. They really bossed that game. Uh, you know, compared that to the English midfield, uh, Georgia Stanway and Kira Walsh couldn't could never really get going. I think Spain did their homework. You know, really didn't let give Kira Walsh much time on the ball and. You know, meant that Stanway, you know, wasn't having an effect, and Ella Toon went unsighted to most of the game. And um, yeah, like you look all the way down the line, like there were great performances all across the park for uh, for Spain. You know, Olga Carmona, she scored the winner, but I thought she was really good all game as well. And uh, yeah. It was uh, it was a richly uh, deserved win for the Spanish. I think uh, yeah, England will be very disappointed. You know, they're, they're down. They're not completely out. I don't think this is the end of an era for England by any means. But they were well and truly second best. And what about us? Obviously, um, the big letdown, I guess, after not getting through the the semi final against England. Um, a great strike by Sam Kerr, but probably. Two of the three soft goals we let in were, uh, well, two or three goals we let in were pretty soft. Um, what does it mean for Australia? And what did you make of their performance against Sweden in the in backing up from that? I think when we, you know, now we've had some time to reflect on both England and the Sweden game. Uh, you know, I think we, even at the time, I think 
the Matildas looked quite tired against England and they looked downright exhausted against Sweden. Uh, you know, I think from an emotional sense, uh, but also from a physical sense, uh, you know, Tony Gustafsson has come in for a lot of credit, uh, a lot of uh, criticism for not using his substitutes very, uh, very often throughout the tournament. Uh, but he's stuck with kind of the same starting eleven nearly every game. Uh, you know, when he did make changes, it was only due to injury. And you know, when he brought on substitutes, they came, they always came quite late in the piece, even when the Matildas were trailing and needed a goal. He waited until like well, yeah, deep into the second half to actually make the changes and. Over the, uh, you know, especially when you play such a counter-attacking style of football, which depends on, you know, you know, need that ability to burst forward very quickly. Um, it is very, you know, tired, tired, you know, it does tire out the players, and uh, I, I do think that it, it really did take its hold in those last two games, where they, they did, they were second best in both games, really, and the Sweden game especially, they just looked exhausted from the get-go. You could tell. Passes weren't hitting the mark. Uh, there were defensive lapses. Players not being picked up as quickly as they were. You know, like the mental fatigue, I thought was quite significant as well. And uh, it was a, it was a real, you know, sad note to end the tournament on from an Australian p- perspective. Obviously, the Matildas have given us so many good memories over the past month. Uh, but you know, in that in that uh, in those final two games, uh, unfortunately, they just crashed out, and it was. Uh, you know, like they leave with a lot of respect, and uh, yeah, as they deserve it. But you know, I think if we, we need to flip the thinking a bit as well and think, okay, you know, we obviously have a very good team as Matildas. What do they need to do to improve and make sure that you know, like they've reached the semi-finals of the Olympics, semi-finals of the World Cup? How can they now reach a final? Is it more depth, do you think, Ben? The thing that struck me about the game against England was that where England had. 11 players of a certain calibre, we only had five or six, and that that affected our skill execution, and they were able to to play those triangle formulations around the field and just keep the ball away from our girls, and we had to play something far more straightforward because we didn't have the skill to do what they were doing. So do we just need more good players? Is it that simple? I, I think yes and no. I think there's an element of truth to that. I do think that you know teams like England and Spain... Uh, you know, they they do have more depth than maybe the Matildas have, but then the Matildas didn't exactly use the depth they had. You know, Tony Gustafson came in to the tournament saying, you know, we're going to need 23 and 23. You know, his way of saying we're going to need 23, uh, all of our 23 players to be successful. Um, but when you look at, you know, who did and didn't play, uh, you know, like... You know, Ivy Lewis didn't see a moment of a pitch. Uh, Claire Wheeler didn't see a moment moment of a pitch, despite having a you know quite a good season for Everton over in England. Uh, Alex Chidiak always came on. You know, she's a reigning Julie Dolan medalist for you know being the best player in the A League women. She's a very good player, um, and she only saw you know very creative attacking player, the sort of player Australia needed. And you know, she only seemed to come on when they were a, a goal or two down, like desperately in in need of playing. Um, you know, Tamika Yallop barely saw the pitch, uh, you know, and she's been a very good servant to, to this national team for a long time. Kaya Simon came in off the back of a torn ACL and, uh, you know, did not feature. Apparently she had a setback in training which prevented her from seeing the, the field at all, which is a shame. Courtney Nevin barely featured. Charlotte Grant never fe- uh, barely featured. So, um, yeah, it was just very... Um, I don't... Th- I think we have... 
maybe don't have the depth that other nations do, but I do think that the depth that we did have wasn't really properly utilised. Like, a, you know, Courtney Nevin, I think I just said she didn't play. She only played half an hour of that bronze medal game, but it would have been good for some of the players, especially in those games against Canada and Denmark, where the game was kind of felt like it was well and truly one with 20 minutes to go to, you know, to to maybe sub off a Katrina Gore, who looked exhausted by the, you know, by the end of that third place game, uh, who you know she she covered more kilometres than I think nearly any other player in the tournament um, heading into the semi-finals. So you know she was in de- she's 31. She ran you know her heart out all tournament, but you know she barely you know she barely had any time off during games, and it was uh, you know I think it took it t- its toll by the end. Let's talk about what it means for Western Australia in particular. So there's already a lot of discussion about how the Matildas and soccer can capitalise on the gains they've made with the exposure they've gained in this tournament. We have a series of games coming up scheduled for Perth later in the year. Um, and there's some talk that maybe some of those should be dragged back to the East Coast to expose these players that are now big names to the bulk of the market. What is What do we need to do in Perth to make sure we keep those games and Sam Kerr gets to play some footy in front of a home crowd? Well, for starters, I don't think there's any danger of any of those games uh, being dragged back to... Uh to, to the eastern states, uh, Football Australia, uh, you know, by, by all accounts, are incredibly committed to keeping those games in Perth. Uh, they want those games in Perth. Uh, they, you know, tickets are already on sale for all three of those Olympic qualifiers. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I believe there's about forty percent of tickets uh, still left uh, for all three games so that Matildas are involved in uh, over in Perth. But um, you know, Football Australia have said. Hey, uh, you know, tickets have spiked. Tickets have spiked quite rapidly in the last week, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, so yeah, I think the best thing that Perth fans can do is just sell at HBF Park. It's a great stadium for watching a round ball game. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be great, and these games are meaningful as well. You know, like Australia needs to uh, to win all three to you know kickstart their Olympic uh, qualifiers qualification campaign. You know, they should beat Iran and Chinese Taipei and the Philippines, but you know, if they don't, then you know, their, their chance of going to the Olympics will take a, a uh, dramatic hit. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, they are meaningful fixtures. They're in an international window, which means we will see the likes of you know, Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Ellie Carpenter, Steph Catley make the, you know, the trip down from Europe for the Games. Um, and they're going to be really important. This is kind of a you know, the, Tony Gustafson is contracted until after the Paris Olympics next year. So this is, you know, this could be his last chance to win silverware. And uh, I know for plenty of uh, players as well, they'll feel like this, this is the last chance for this generation of players to w- have a really good crack, uh, you know, at the Olympics. Uh, obviously, there'll be another World Cup in four years' time. But, you know, next year is, uh, I guess, all or nothing mode for the Matildas. Finally... This tournament, for some of them, Matildas, I suspect, was a career maker. Who are the young players you think made the most of their opportunities and will explode onto the international stage as a result of what has just transpired? I have to start with Mary Fowler. She's been fantastic all tournament. You know, she's only 20 years old. Uh, you know, she she grew throughout the tournament. The confidence she has for such a young player is just, you know, it's so good to see. You know, we all saw that penalty against France. For a 20-year-old to do that in a shootout is uh, the pressure of the world, you know, hanging on her shoulders. For her to just hit that ball as hard as she did and 
far in the bottom corner was, you know, a very telling sign about who she is as a person. And we saw who she is as a player. She's very good between the lines, very good at breaking lines, technically gifted, grew in stature throughout the tournament. I thought she was uh, Matilda's best in the loss against England. Uh, so she's, you know, she's obviously at Manchester City. She had, she's been in, in and out of the side in Manchester City. Uh, but, you know, I think these performances will springboard her to a to a new level. And I think Kira Cooney-Cross as well. You know, she's someone I came into the tournament maybe not being completely sold on in the way that others were. And, you know, I came out a bit more impressed with her. She's, you know, uh, you know, but what she has, you know, she's shown the propensity to be able to dribble, you know, past players in the middle of the pitch. Uh, you know, she looked to take, I guess, a few more riskier, but, you know, high-reward passes, uh, you know, I think in terms of ball progression in the middle third, I thought she, you know, really impressed me this tournament. She's only 21, so, you know, 2027 rolls around, we're going to have, you know, Mary Fowler and Kira Cooney cross in the middle of the park, and they're going to be, you know, and if they continue their progress at the rate that they've already shown, then Australia's going to have, you know, arguably two world-class central midfielders uh, come the next World Cup. Yeah, Kira Krini-Koss um, strikes me as a person who has a really good big game temperament as well. She didn't look flustered at any moment during those during those big games. She looks like she's, she's built for the big time. Absolutely, and I think... It's you know it's been a huge help for her that she's been able to play alongside Katrina Gorry, who is you know takes on such a an important role in early phases of progression in terms of working the the ball up the pitch. But you know I think they you know Gorry and Kira Cooney Cross really complement each other. Cooney Cross has said you know what a help uh, Gorry has been to her on a personal level, like on and off the pitch. Um, and uh, you know the more that Cooney Cross can learn off Gorry, who is you know just such an important player and such an intelligent player, uh, I think that you know that's only that can only be good news for the Matildas. Ben, always a pleasure to talk to you. You can catch up with Ben Smith stuff in the West Australian, a gun young sports writer. Thanks for joining us on the show. No worries. Cheers, Duff. Ben Smith, as I said, you can catch up with his stuff in the West Australian. We're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll be back with more of the show after the break.